It's time to stop working out and start working in. You found the Work In Podcast for fitness and their health-conscious clients. This podcast is for resilient wellness professionals who want to expand their professional credibility, shake off stress, and thrive in a burnout-proof career with conversations on the fitness industry, movement, nutrition, sleep, mindset, nervous system health, yoga, business, and so much more. I'm your host, Erica Thomas. I'm a resilience coach and fitpreneur offering an authentic, actionable, realistic approach to personal and professional balance for coaches in any format. The Work In is brought to you by Savage Grace Coaching, bringing resilience through movement, action, and accountability. Private sessions, small groups, and corporate presentations are available now. Visit savagegracecoaching.com to schedule a call and get all the details. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to The Work In. Oh no, not again. She's talking about sleep again. Yes, I know we've had lots of podcasts on sleep. You're probably really tired of hearing about it. But sleep, or lack of it, is probably the number one complaint that people have. And the number one thing that we need to improve any and all areas of our health. Everything we do during the day can affect how we sleep, from what we eat and drink, to when we eat and drink, to when and how we exercise, whether or not we get outside, to the temperature of the room, and even the state of our sex life. But today, I want to talk about something a little different in relation to sleep, sex, and stress. And that's our perception of safety. So let's start with a little bit about where stress comes from, not the sources of it in our external lives, because that could be anything. I'm talking about within the body, inside our own skin, how the nervous system evolved to keep us safe and help us survive. So I think by now, most of us know about the fight or flight response. That's the sympathetic nervous system. And when we're awake, it is activated at some level. That's how we get out of bed in the morning. So when we say fight or flight, we think it's triggered by some kind of threat or uh, like a lion or a tiger. This is an external threat, right? That's typically how we are thinking of fight or flight. Evolutionarily, stress or more accurately, distress is really anything that is too much too fast, too loud, or anything new that is perceived by the brain and the nervous system. It can and does, any of those things, trigger the same nervous system response in the body as a lion or a tiger. It could also be triggered by not enough of something. So like not enough water, not enough air, not enough food, not enough shelter, not enough connection or help from other people. 
the nervous system doesn't like any kind of uncertainty. And it evolved to see all of those things as threats and to react accordingly within our body. It does that by taking all of the body's resources. In other words, for the body, the resources we're talking about are our blood. And it takes all of those resources and sends them, sends that blood to the skeletal muscles, our heart and lungs, and of course, to the brain. Now, that blood going to the brain is not necessarily to think about things, but it's there to keep you alert and to get you what you need in any way possible so that you can survive. So all of those things, you need to physically get those things, right? You need your muscles to move you there. You need your heart and lungs. Um to be possibly elevated, that breath elevated so you can go get what you need and you need that brain on high alert. And that's all fine and good when we are living out in the wild woods like naked and afraid. But it's not so great when you are lying in your own bed. Now we know that when we get stuck in patterns like that of hypervigilance for whatever reason, whatever the source is, that that can interfere with our sleep. And we also know that a lack of sleep for too long can then raise our stress response. So that's a terrible catch-22, right? When we want to calm our stress response and we can't get to sleep, but sleep would be the best thing for us to do to calm our stress response. It's crazy, right? Now, in this state, this sympathetic state, the nervous system perceives a threat from somewhere. Basically, what that means is that it's telling you that you're not safe. And because you're not safe, there's no way that it wants you to get a nap. You shouldn't be taking a nap if you're unsafe, okay? It also makes it much harder to connect with anyone else, because they may not be safe either if you're not feeling safe. It makes it much harder to relax and let go in the presence of a loved one. And that's a requirement if we're going to have any kind of physical intimacy or orgasm during sex with another person. Sleep and sex, I think we'll all agree, are very vulnerable states. So in order to do either of those things, we need to be in our parasympathetic nervous system. We need to feel safe in our environment, yes, but also in our own skin. The parasympathetic nervous system is the less well-known side in my opinion, of our autonomic nervous system. It's the opposite of fight or flight, but they do work in tandem. Parasympathetic is the rest and repair. And it just isn't as sexy as fight or flight, but maybe we should start to think of it as our sexy side because it's in this state that all the body's resources, again, blood, 
gets to go back to where they usually are, where they want to be, to repair and to keep us engaged and calm. Those places are the reproductive system, the digestive system, the immune system, and our empathy pathways that allow us to connect with other people. Now, this is the state that gets us close to and lets us trust other people physically and emotionally. This is the state that we need to be in in order to get to sleep and stay asleep, to be able to relax enough to get to sleep, to be able to relax enough and let go to be able to experience intimacy, orgasm, climax, and in general, uh, that closeness that we want with a sexual relationship. Now, by the end of a day, we might be tired physically, really tired physically. We might be mentally exhausted and maybe even emotionally drained, but we could also still be in a sympathetic state. So our mind might be racing. Maybe our heart is racing. And maybe our muscles are still tense as if they want to move or run or punch. And all of that makes sense when we understand the nervous system's response to perceived danger, right? Because it's sending all our resources, all that blood to those areas in order to keep us safe, to help us survive. So what if we take what we know about the nervous system's needs for safety and try to give it more evidence of that in a language that it can understand. Now, usually that's not just thinking about calming down, right? Our thoughts are a little tricky. Thoughts are circumstantial evidence, The body, the nervous system needs more evidence than just a thought to be able to come out of that sympathetic state. It needs physical evidence. And so the more evidence of safety that we can give to our nervous system, some really amazing things start to happen. Our sensations of pain can lower. Our blood pressure can come down. Our heart rate variability, which is one of those measurements of our resilience of how well we recover, our heart rate variability, that space between heartbeats actually goes up, which is a good thing. Our digestion improves. Our reproductive hormones can balance out. And of course, the better sleep we can get and the better sex we'll have. So what kind of evidence does the body and the nervous system need? What counts? How can we reassure ourselves, basically, from the inside out that we're safe enough to relax that we're safe enough to let go and be vulnerable for not just great sleep, but really great sex. 
as well. All right, well, there's three things that we can start with. Number one is the breath. We know that the breath holds a direct line to the autonomic nervous system. It's something that we don't have to control if we're not thinking about it. The body is just going to do it, but we can control it. And we know that when we breathe faster, the heart rate will rise. If we breathe slower, we can lower our heart rate. So we're going to begin with some exhale emphasized breaths in order to bring that heart rate down. Not only does it do that, but it puts our attention in the body and starts to move us from a state of protection into a state of presence. So exhale, exhale emphasized breaths are really just a focus on the exhale. So maybe our exhale is twice as long as our inhale. Just some simple, long, slow breaths. And it's not just one or two breaths this way. It would be over uh, several minutes, right? So we want to really give ourselves some time with this breath. Lab studies show the more significant heart rate variability improvements come after several minutes of long, slow breathing. Perhaps we take a five count, like a five count inhale and a five count exhale, or again, we double that exhale. And just know that as we start to move into these different kinds of breathing techniques, if you ever feel at all lightheaded or uncomfortable at all, or if this triggers any kind of anxiety that that comes up in the body, because sometimes when we're working with the breath, that can happen. Um, then all we need to do is stop those breathing techniques and just allow the body to recalibrate on its own. So the breath is a great tool. There are so many different types of breathing techniques uh, to use in different instances. One of my favorite is one that we've talked about on this podcast in the past. That's that physiologic sigh. Or in yoga, it's more like the breath of joy. And that's the one where you take uh, two or three quick inhales, sips of breath, inhale, 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 and then big, long exhale. So it's, and then, and you can do that, uh, nasal breathing, or you can do nasal breathing on the inhale and the exhale strong with the mouth open, however you want to do it really. All right. So second tool to give the body more evidence of safety is soothing touch from yourself to yourself. In other words, a little bit of self-massage, just simply rubbing your hands along your arms or rubbing your hands together or some other part of your body, maybe your leg, um, self-massage in any way, um, or from someone else whom you trust to yourself. So actual soothing touch. Now there's, um, the reason for this as a tool here is that there's several kinds of touch receptors that we have in our skin. 
And oftentimes we only think about the painful ones, the nociceptors, right? Um, the, the, that are responsible for pain or heat in, in the skin. But there's other ones that are responsible for shapes, texture, pressure, and things like that. But what those receptors do is they tell the nervous system in certain instances that you are safe because you wouldn't be touching like that or being touched like that if you weren't in a safe place. According to PubMed, touch is a really important system for social exchange, including pair bonding and child rearing. And I'm not sure if you have heard about the studies about, um, of the, of the babies that they, um, and did the touch for that affects their developmental and cognitive, uh, development in young children and babies and how some of um, those those infants, those babies, those deficits um, that come from a lack of touch can really persist through adulthood. Now look, if touch is that important for our development as infants and children as, as we grow, what makes us think that it's any less important as adults. We can be starving for touch. And so the nervous system, I think, this is just my opinion because I'm no expert on this and I, I, I don't know of any studies about this, but I feel like the nervous system is really craving that kind of soothing on a regular basis. Now, Interestingly, there are some new wearable devices on the market that kind of emit this low frequency vibration that mimic the same kind of response as touch in the body and can soothe the nervous system on a regular basis. One of them is called the Apollo Neuro, and another is a device called Sensate, and they basically are bringing a a vibration, a tremor into the body. I'm not affiliated with either of those, but um, they might be something to to check out if you feel like this might be something um, to look into for yourself. But that brings us to this third uh, tool that we have, this natural innate tool that we have in the body to help soothe ourselves, to soothe that nervous system out of the sympathetic state. And that is our own natural tremor. In nature, mammals always shake after a stressful experience. They always do. They don't think about it. They just do it. We don't because we think shaking in the body of any kind indicates either some kind of weakness or some kind of illness, like there's something wrong with us because our body is shaking and it feels uncontrollable. But what it's actually doing is telling the body that the danger has passed and we are still alive and we are okay. It doesn't happen while we're in the moment of that stressful situation. It happens after we've moved out. 
This is what trauma release exercise taps into. And in our current society, because our society and our culture still view stress as this badge of honor, um, it's really important that we find a way to kind of get back to these natural roots. Because most of our chronic illnesses today, both physical illnesses and mental illnesses, can really be traced to excessive stress and chronic dysregulation of the nervous system. And yet we have this innate ability within our body to let that go. And so why wouldn't we tap into our own, our own body's healing processes? The first thing we need to do is just know what they are. And so that's why, um, that's why this podcast actually came into being because my goal is to give you as many tools that are right there at your fingertips as I possibly can. And all three of these that we talked about today, our breath, soothing touch, and that natural tremor, all three of these act directly through the body to communicate a sense of physical safety that can help shift our nervous system out of fight or flight and into that sexy, sexy parasympathetic state of rest. Today, we sort of touched into category three and four and a little bit of five. Because there is really so much overlap between sleep, sex, and the nervous system. And I thought it was really important to make this connection, to make this point about giving yourself evidence of safety for sleep. Because of course we want to shift into the parasympathetic for sleep. It's body logic when so much of the body seems illogical. I had not thought about it that way until I heard Dr. Dave Rabin interviewed on the Better Podcast. When he made the point in that interview that 70% of women have never had an orgasm with another person and suggested that there was a stress connection, a safety connection through the nervous system, I knew that was something I needed to share. We are made up of a lot of complex systems, no doubt about it. And I think too often we try to treat them as all separate systems rather than the interconnected network that they really are. So next time we'll try to connect some more dots here through these five categories of health and talk a little bit more about how to support the nervous system beyond sleep, beyond sex in category four of our five category challenge. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you want to know more or join the challenge, it's never too late. You can find links to this and all of our episodes at savagegracecoaching.com forward slash the work in. And I will see you next time. Take care, everyone.